This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Still to come, Harner Ryan Singh, who has some new chapters in his book, by the way, if you're watching on 360. Uh, one game at a time, my journey from a small town to hockey's biggest stage. Uh, a couple new chapters in the uh, the book that came out from a, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so Harner Ryan is going to stop by to talk about that and also talk about a uh, big matchup on Saturday as the New Jersey Devils face off against the Calgary Flames. New Jersey mowing into this league right now. Soraya Tinker will be aboard from the uh, Toronto Six. Uh, the PHF schedule opens up this weekend. Toronto plays Minnesota at York Canlan tomorrow at 2. Um, we'll talk to her about people like Geraldine Heaney and Angela James and Sammy Joe Small, etc. Um, so we look forward to talking to Soraya as well. And Matt Marchese returns for the weekend review. Uh, in the meantime, as I mentioned... Those two things in the middle of your head, you call them your eyeballs. They are liars when you watch hockey. Uh, someone who's not a liar is Mike Kelly, even though he does have two eyeballs himself. <laughs> he uh, doesn't just use that to rely on uh, on analyzing or measuring what he sees uh, from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Mike, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, I think it's our first time chatting this year, so good to, good to be on with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to catch up again. And, you know, before we sort of drill down on a couple of teams, and I, I do want to get to New Jersey if we could, because I think they're really, I mean, they've really spiced up this league. And, and last night what they did to the Oilers in the third period was spectacular. Um, is there one area where, in, like in hockey, is there one area in hockey where specifically our eyeballs can deceive us? Sure, I think there's a few. Um, the one thing that I always look to do, right, is try to separate uh, the process from the results in general. And part of that is, mm-hmm. you know, how do you separate goaltending from team defense? And, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, a team will be really yeah. leaky and give up a ton of chances, and it makes a goalie look worse than he is. Other times, uh, Seattle's an example last year, a team plays with pretty good structure and doesn't allow too much, and the goalie's sink them and you just say well that's a bad team or that team can't defend so that's you know one area to to try to separate those things with the kind of work that i do so you can get an understanding of um you know each of them individually as best as possible and then from there you just start breaking down okay well what what can be fixed what is an inherent problem um and that's how you start to try to get to okay where can i expect this team to be you know kind of regardless of maybe some of the uh, the results, especially early in the year, because things can be a little bit wonky in terms of wins and losses. But you bring up the Devils. I mean, that's the great one to bring up. They started slow, fire, Lindy. Even in the two games they lost, <laughs> you know, goaltending was brutal. Yeah. Um, but there was there was stuff there after two games to say, oh, whoa, whoa, let's pump the brakes on this. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I'll tell you, and this may be a fraudulent way to look at it, but it's a, to me, it's, it's, it's not so much a final stamp on something, but just an indication. And that is when I want to, when I want to look at what you're talking about is a, is a goaltender's performance about how that goaltender's playing, or is it a reflection of how the team is playing around him? I'll look at the save percentage for both goaltenders. And if they are Mm -hmm. similar, if not identical, I'll say "Hmm, that probably has more to do than with the team defense because it affects both goaltenders that, you know, the the structure and the blue light is exactly the same for both goaltenders. Um, Calgary was a good example of that last season. Whereas I'll look at the New York Rangers specifically early on 
And where Shostakovich putting up like a 940, you know, Alexander Georgiev is barely cracking 900. And I'll say, okay, that really is a reflection on Georgiev. That is, is that a very primitive way to do what you're talking about, Mike? No, I, I don't think it's primitive at all. Um, and the bigger sample you get, I think the more you can trust it. But like at, a, at a time like this point in the season where, you know, one goalie might have seven games and the other one's got three or four, you can have pretty yeah. big differences in how the team's performed in front of them. Now, you do that over 82, it's like, you know, people can say plus minus is primitive. primitive. Uh, and there are inherent flaws with how it's calculated. But over a year, many years, it's going to tell you more right than it will wrong about what's going on. So um, over the course of the season, no, I think what you're doing is 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 a good way to look at it. Um, of course, you can then go beyond that and just look at expected goals when this goalie's on versus this goalie, which is just another layer to save percentage, um, and continue to go down that road. But that'd be a good place to start if you're uh, if you're looking into this stuff. Mike Kelly, true or false? Uh, plus minus is only a reflection of the shooting percentage of your line mates. <laughs> uh, I would say false. Um, I mean, the empty net thing is a huge problem with plus minus. So, um, yeah, it's you know, you, like you brought up a good point in what you just said, and I think it applies to a lot of things. It's a it's a starting point. It's a window. I mean, even all the data work that yeah. I do, and it's the foundation of the analysis that I do is still just the first step to before I'll say, okay, I definitively think this about a player or a team or whatever. Um, even that to me is just one step of, of a few to, to try to get there. So yeah, I like, the, I like the way you phrase so let's that. Let's throw down. Uh, you know, I have, I have my moments. That's it. That's my, yeah, my uh, blind squirrel finds not moment. <laughs> That's my blind squirrel finds not moment. Um, okay. Let me drill down on a couple of teams here. I want to get to Philadelphia and Vancouver. But before that, can I can I get your thoughts on the New Jersey Devils? Like I've been, you know, I've been saying about Nico Heischer. You know, if this guy could just stay healthy, we'd be talking about him with the Selkie Trophy year in and year out. I think now, uh, early this season, people are really starting to see it. I think Jesper Bratt is in for an enormous, enormous payday at the end mm-hmm. of the season. I think John Marino is having this incredible bounce-back season. He looks fantastic uh, on that on that blue line. I think people shouldn't sleep on Sharon Govich. Um, what, do you, what do you see when... I shouldn't say what do you see. How do you... How do you measure, there we go, how do you measure what we're seeing, there we go, with the New Jersey Devils? <laughs> um, well, again, I, I look for the process first, and that's going to give you a window into, okay, is this a team really playing well? Or are they getting some good results? What's going on here? And I took some heat, but so I just got back from the NHL Network this, this morning. Uh, I, I flew back home, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was taking some heat even down there when I did power rankings a couple of weeks ago, and the Devils were two and two, and I put them in my top five. And, and a lot of people commenting, "Real the two and two? It's New Jersey. You got them in your top five? Are you kidding me?" Um, I said, "Look, the way this team's playing, if they get adequate goaltending, and that is not insignificant. Like that's a big, big part of what, how your team's going to do." Um, but they had the worst goaltending in the league by far last season. They get adequate goaltending. The way they are controlling the game offensively and defensively is elite. Mm-hmm. It is elite. And they're going to start winning. And the goaltending has been better. Banachek's been good. Blackwood, um, Mackenzie uh, Blackwood, a bit of an injury last night. You hope he's okay. But he's starting to come around a little bit. Um, look, with New Jersey, it's quite simple when you look at their underlying numbers. So they are... Uh, in terms of expected goals against, 
they are first in the NHL. In terms of expected goals for, they are fourth in the NHL. Um, they are limiting quality shots against. They are creating a ton of offense. They're playing fast, a lot off the rush. It's all there. And then so now when they get to the, you know, before last night, people are starting to say, okay, yeah, they're playing well. You got that one. But are they for real? Can they do it against the big team? And we'll see. It's a long season. Um, and that yeah. Edmonton game, you know, they outshot them pretty heavily and they were behind and then bam, bam, quick strike. Uh, and the game's over. That's what they're capable of. So I think they're legit. I, I, won't, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they might, you know, they might win around. Who knows? Like, they're not a cup contender. Let's not kid ourselves. But this yeah. team's real. And this team's real good. And this team is real fun to watch as well. Okay, let's get to, uh, let's get to Vancouver. Um, like, that game last night is ripped out of the pages of 1985. That was fun. Uh, I don't think coaches <laughs> enjoy that one bit. Uh, but nonetheless, they're 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 fun to watch. Um, you know, one of the players that you know is leading in you know so many statistical categories by way of goals and uh, in all situations and faceoffs. And I I seem to give his updates every after every single game because I don't think we've seen anyone from the Vancouver Canucks on a heater like this uh, in quite some time. And that's Bo Horvat, who just continues uh, to have this outstanding season. And you know, the face of you know his contract <laughs> expiring. Uh, at the uh, at the end of the year, but when you look at Vancouver, like what jumps out at you right away? They need help on the blue line. Uh, that's that's the first thing I think of, and I don't think that's a secret, right? Um, and you know what, Demko's covered up a lot of warts for a long time there, and he hasn't been re- he hasn't been great this year. And like some of it, I mean, the backdoor tappings, he's getting left out to dry a little bit, but he also hasn't been great. And so now you start to see. Mm-hmm you know, things fall off for them when that happens. Um, but yeah, they, they need help on the blue line for sure. I think even to be a legit playoff contender, let alone anything beyond that. And I know they go out and get Ethan Bear and they're trying to address things there. But um, yeah, Bo Horvat, he, he's so good. And uh, you bring up a good point, right? Like he touches every part of the game, face-offs, uh, you know, defensively, the situations that he gets put in, his ability to, to get to quality areas where, you know, what he does on the power play, kind of high slot, he can tip pucks, get on rebounds. Uh, he's been a beast for them. He's been really good. He's top 10 slot, inner slot shots, like fifth and fourth, I think, in expected goals. So good process underneath it. Um, yeah, he's, he's having a phenomenal year for them. And they need guys like that to get going. And I, I swear, Canucks fans, they, they needed that game. They needed all those goals. They need to feel good about themselves. <laughs> As, uh, as as someone sent me last night, yeah, it's, it's no surprise that uh, Kevin Bieksa was in the house, so nobody wanted to play defense last night. Like, <laughs> uh, when Kevin played, when when Kevin played, um, the Philadelphia Flyers, they were a nice story through October, uh, and maybe it's only two games, but you know, you watch that game against the Rangers. You know, not the most high event game, certainly. Um, I thought Sam Rosen might have been the first star because he kept his energy up all three periods, <laughs> calling that he thing. Did. Uh, but then the next night, the, the, he was great. I mean, Rosen, Rosen's always great. God, he's so good. Um, yeah. And then the next night against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, you saw the frustration at the end because if you're the Philadelphia Flyers now, you know, October's gone, and all of a sudden now you find yourself chasing the game for three periods and chasing the play and being behind the play, and you can see the, the frustrations boiling over. Uh, how do you measure the Philadelphia Flyers right now? Yeah, I don't think they're a very good team. I think they're uh, they're a byproduct of, of Carter Hart being the best goalie in the league at this point. 
And again, goalie's part of the team. We don't discount that, but um, they're five zero and two when he's in net, and they're zero three and zero when he's not. And that alone, you know, tells you enough. I think about what's going on there. So Philly, like I've watched them quite a bit this year. They get out played, a chance, everything. I mean, they're 31st in expected goals. They're 29th in goals. They're 31st in expected goals against, so that is the goal probability you are allowing, and they're 7th in goals against. And when you have that big of a differential, it's glaringly obvious that you are giving up a ton of chances, and your goaltender has been an absolute rock star. And and that's what's been going on uh, in Philly. So hats off to Carter Hart. I, I think Konechny has been really good for them this year. Um but they, and, and you know what? I don't think, you know, I got asked, you know, is John, does John Tortorella have this team doing something that allows them to be competitive? Like, I think he's got them playing in a way where they can remain in games for as long as possible. And, and I think we saw that at, at the game at MSG. Um, Hart was brilliant again, but there is some element to, he, he can just, he's doing well to keep them hanging around, but they are going to lose a lot of games this year. I think they're a bottom seven like I said maybe a bottom five team you know when you uh when you see a situation like that my my first thought is okay let's say that the Philadelphia Flyers you know the the it continues and they bottom out as as we all expect the Philadelphia Flyers will <clears throat> you know who I start to think of right away that puts a lot of pressure on normally people might say oh the head coach for the NHL team I think it puts a lot of pressure on the AHL team like if you're Chuck Fletcher and you're Danny Briere, like leading the Philadelphia Flyers, and okay, so we're not so great at the NHL level. Where are we looking for some positivity and some good news? It's going to be at oh, sorry, it better be Lehigh Valley. It better be that group. That's my my first thought always, Mike. It's like when the team on top, you know, is really struggling and there's nothing there and they're falling down. All of a sudden, there's a ton of pressure on the the minor league affiliate, the AHL affiliate, to start sending players, to develop players, because the team needs something. Because there's nothing worse than your NHL team having a miserable season and your AHL team also having a miserable season. So there doesn't seem like there's any right now, and there's no future. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, an interesting way to look at it, I think. And... Uh, Obviously, that's what you're hoping for, right? If you're not going to be competitive and you're going to be near the bottom of the league, as well, let's get a good pick. And this year's draft, as, as you well know from the work you do, is uh, there's Oof. a lot of good talent there, even beyond Connor Bedard. So um, you got a top five pick there. Yeah, you're you're going to get a good player. Um, but yeah, they're. I mean, look, they've, they've signed some contracts there that I think a lot of people kind of said, huh. Um, just where they are now. I mean, the, the wrist aligning deal to me was, I, I don't mind them as a player. Like I know people that kind of do analytics work similar to that. I do jump on them a little bit, but if he's a second unit guy and, and, you know, a five on a really good team, maybe a four, I, I think he's okay, but you're paying him less and you're not giving them the kind of term they did. So, you know, Sanheim gets yeah. a big deal. I like Sanheim. That's fine. But, like, where's Philly going to be in two years? Like, as you, as you talk about, um, they're, you know, they're, I don't think they're really close to really flipping the switch here. So, it, uh, Torch will have to get a lot out of that group. You can have to squeeze every drop out of the towel. Let me ask you about one player that I, I think we're all fascinated by. And I was trying to find, you know, examples through history of players 
you know, late in their career that all of a sudden, boom, they pop up and there's this one like magical season. Like it happened to Joe Sackick, um, who popped up mm-hmm. a hundred point season, boom, out of nowhere towards the end happened with Gordie Howe and 60, uh, 68 or was it 69, uh, boom, 103 point season towards the, uh, the back end of his career with Detroit before the WHA. Um, what are we seeing with Eric Carlson right now? Like, I, I know we're only at November 4th here, right? But, like, three more points last night. They, you know, they lose in a shootout to the Florida Panthers, but whatever. Sharks with 3-8-2. and two, That's kind of where we expected the San Jose Sharks to be. But through all of this, you know, Eric Carlson and his $11.5 million cap hit is all of a sudden having, like, the best start he's ever had in his career. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Boom. He is. He is. I mean, hey, 10 goals in 13 games. If he scores 60 this year, I think that cap hits just fine, right? I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been awesome. It's been awesome to watch. And like, I, I think no matter who you cheer for in terms of being a fan, like you're just happy to see things like that. Yeah. Um, Cause he's had some tough years uh, on and off the ice. And, you know, we, we interviewed him at the, uh, at the network a couple of days ago and you know, we didn't bring it up, but he started to talk about how, you know, for him, just things are a little quieter in his personal life. And, and he thinks that, you know, maybe uh, helped him on the ice as well. And, um, you know, he, he's had some stuff to deal with, obviously, that's been documented. But at the same time, he mentioned being able to go back to Sweden for the first time in the summer in five years. Um, and I have a good friend of mine who lives in the U.S. who's in, in hockey and he's Swedish, and he wasn't able to get home through COVID for years. And you don't really think about stuff like that, right? But there's family and good friends and where you grew up that you aren't able to get to and, and people to see and, all that stuff that affects us, it affects these guys too, to some degree, right? It, it has to. So um, he's been great this year. And last year he had 35 points in 50 games. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. So, um, and his skating yeah. has looked a lot better. I find in the last couple of years, he, he had the you know, issues with his, his ankle, his foot and all that stuff. But um, look, I'm rooting for him, right? Like we can get into, if I ask you who's outperforming their expected goals total the most this year, you probably know the answer. It's Eric Carlson. <laughs> He's got 10 goals and a lot of yeah. them on wristers from the point. Like that's not going to keep going down for him, but <laughs> I'm just happy. You know what I say? Keep, keep riding it. Let's keep getting those pucks in the back of the net. It, it's a great story for yeah. sure. It, it really, it really is. Like I, I'm with you. Like I don't cheer for teams. I cheer for individual players and two things on San Jose. I absolutely mm-hmm. love right now. The uniforms, um, and the performance oh, yeah. of Eric Carlson. It's its just fantastic. Um, listen, man, we're out of time. We could do this all day. Uh, unfortunately, the realities uh, of network airtime here on radio are what they are. Uh, Mike, it's always <laughs> a pleasure, man. Uh, you are the best at what you do. Thanks, as always, for sharing your expertise with me here. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, love watching you guys uh, during the week, but on, on Saturday nights too, so keep doing it. Beats working. Uh, thanks, Mike. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Uh, hitting a break, top of the hour break. Harner Ryan Singh on the other side from Hockey Night in Canada also has an updated version of his new national bestseller that I'm holding in my hands here if you're watching on Sportsnet Now or Sportsnet 360. Uh, Soraya Tinker from the Toronto Six as well, and Week in Review with Matt Marchese. Hour two is on the horizon. Keep it here. most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. So only a couple of games on the schedule today, and one of them getting underway in an hour. Uh, that one in Finland, that is the Global Series. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's on Sportsnet. Also on Sportsnet tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern, it is the Buffalo Sabres and the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes, who most recently just followed the Buffalo Sabres um, through their uh, western uh, Western road trip, whether it's you know Edmonton, Calgary, Seattle, Vancouver. I think uh, talking to someone in the Hurricanes organization recently, and they were saying to me, yeah, you know what? Buffalo got all the backups, and we got all the starters. Anyway, those two teams face off uh, later on this evening. Uh, tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, one of the games that we have circled um, is a big one. It is the New Jersey Devils and the Calgary Flames. Uh, this one on Sportsnet 1 and City TV. Uh, Greg Millen, Ryan Leslie, and my next guest, Harner Ryan Singh, handling the affairs in this one. Harner Ryan, how are you today? I'm well, and yourself, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing very well, thanks, my friend. And I'm holding up in front of me yeah, the latest updated edition of One Game at a Time, my journey from a small town to hockey's biggest stage, available now. Um, I know there's a, a couple of, of new chapters in this one as well, but my first question for you about this book is, how old, or should I say, how young are you in this picture on the cover? <laughs> Uh, probably, uh, around six or seven years old. I mean, I, I always wanted to be doing this as a hockey commentator. My parents were gracious enough, even though they, you know, people just thought it was cute. Uh, my dream when I was a youngster, <laughs> a small town boy, yeah. Brooks, Alberta, you know, wearing the turban and, and different from everybody in the town, but they bought me a toy microphone and that's where I lived out my dreams. I was I was not only calling hockey games play by play wise, but I was hosting the NHL awards trying to be Ron McLean at that time too. So yeah, it's a fun picture. It's popular awesome. and we've got a fresh, fresh look for the updated book that's out this week. Yeah. Give us the, uh, the nickel and dime tour. What is the, uh, what is the new material that you have included in this one? I just got my copy of it yesterday. And as you can see here, I haven't yet cracked the spine, um, but that'll be solved later on tonight. Yeah, so the the hardcover came out in the height of the pandemic uh, two years ago in 2020, and you know malls were closed at the time. But you know, I've been so fortunate. Uh, the pandemic is has been really tough on a lot of people in the world. Um, I've been very fortunate to have had a lot uh, happen for me positively during the pandemic. And a few of those things were being a part of the return to play, the Edmonton bubble, hosting games, uh, being a sponge to Chris Cuthbert and Louis DeBrusque, uh, watching them do their thing, how they prepare. Um, and then in uh, January of 2021, I got my first ever English play-by-play opportunity and and those were such weird times the the arenas were all empty it was eerie um you know it's it's like those playoff games and the return to play it was like you felt bad because there were such intense games and there were it seemed like they were being played for just the three of us that were in the stands right and it was uh it was a an interesting time um and and then you know just being able to transition onto the english side and the, all of the unique challenges uh, and, you know, the fun times that were involved and all that. There's, there's some cool stories. My very first game in Edmonton, Van, 
Vancouver at Edmonton and Kelly Rudy was coming driving up in a snowstorm because this was the first ever game where we had COVID testing and no one else could get into the arena except I somehow snuck in because the hotel was attached to the arena and I was like the only person there and looking around and it was my first ever game and how how we kind of barely got to air that day and 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 then in just all sorts of different things that have happened since then. So a lot of, of fun and interesting stories, the Olympics uh, being one of them and being able to host Canada's hockey coverage with CBC. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of updated material in this one. How much of a challenge is it? Uh, because I don't think anybody could notice um, hearing your call at all. But how challenging was it? calling games where you didn't have a crowd to play off like I, I've, oh. I've i've mentioned about you a number of times harner ryan like the one thing that really jumps out at me um is the the way you call a game is almost as if you're singing and you know singers love an audience and can play off an audience and the way that you <clears throat> the way that you call a game is closer to music um, than this sort of staccato chop, 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 chop. Like it's, it's really nice and smooth and flowing and lyrical. How challenging is it to get that energy up for three periods when nobody's in the building? Yeah, it's not easy. And I would say it's a night and day difference um, for the players and us broadcasters. The only benefit to not having fans in the building would be to not have to stand in a line uh, to go to the bathroom in the intermission. <laughs> but I'll take uh, having to do that any game because, you know, 20,000 people in the arena, it's it's just the, the energy and especially in the playoffs. I mean, I was I had the amazing fortune of calling three rounds last season into the conference finals and, and seeing the crowds, uh, whether it was Edmonton, LA. Well, I, I almost even despite that, I have the, the layers of the turban over my ears. I felt, I thought I was going to lose my hearing in Edmonton and we've got such a cool vantage oh, yeah. point from there. Cause we're just at the top of the lower bowl. So we're surrounded by the fans. And then, yeah, LA was great, but Colorado was super loud. Um, the Colorado St. Louis series was fun. And then, and then uh, in the conference final, seeing the passion of Tampa, I was really impressed with Tampa Bay and, the, and their fan base. And obviously they've had recent success, but if I was calling all of those games without fans, it, it would not be nearly as exciting. And it's the, it, the players have talked about that too. I mean, that was a really big challenge to, to try to keep the, energy going i called a triple overtime uh game in the playoffs between the oilers and the jets an all canadian matchup um and 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 it was you know kyle connor coming down and uh, dashing the oilers hopes and they got swept but it was a real close series but without fans it was just it was so weird and it, it was yes the energy you had to just bring it yourself and keep uh pumping the veins with the caffeine the uh, <laughs> the the one thing, and I only worked one game uh, as ringside host during um, during the uh, the empty arena games, and it was a, a hockey night in Canada, Saturday night, Montreal, Vancouver, and the first thing, and it's it was, and I still like I don't know why this visual sticks with me, Harner Ryan, but the visual, the first time the puck left the surface and went into the stands, and it was just sort of like almost right in front of me, and the puck just sat there. 
like it was <laughs> like the, the I, I don't even know how to describe it because normally you see pucks go into the stands and everybody races after much like you know player hits a home run in baseball and everybody chases it but just the visual of the puck going into the stands and then just sitting there it just was like I remember looking at it going that's the loneliest puck in the world right now. Like it's just sitting there and no one's anyway, that's, that's one of the things that, that was just like a, a stunning visual. I can only imagine having to, to try to call games uh, when there's, there's no one in the stands. Um, let me ask you about the Calgary flames. Uh, a tough one last night against the Nashville predators. Uh, this is a team that, you know, looks like it probably needs some time, you know, getting out of town, get on the road, Big game coming up against the New Jersey Devils, who, as you well know, are red hot. That was a real exciting game last night. Big win for the Devils over the Edmonton Oilers. I guess the question that everybody is wondering right now, Harner Ryan, is what do you think's wrong with the Calgary Flames? It wasn't that long ago that we were saying, hey, they're one of the class teams around the NHL. They are not enjoying uh, the home cooking, uh, that's for sure. And, you know, few saw this coming a week earlier. They started off the season really strong, wins against Colorado, defending cup champs. Then Edmonton was next, the mm-hmm. team that took them out of the playoffs, then Vegas, right? So they were; uh, those yeah. were kind of teams that they got up and ready for. Calgary had five wins through their first six games. It was the best start through six games in their franchise history. They've now lost three in a row and four of their last five. So they're on this epic uh, season-long eight-game homestand, but it's worse than that because first, the first nine of ten games have all been in Alberta. Their only road trip has been up the QE2, the highway to Edmonton. Um, and, and when you are a team with a lot of uh, new faces, but new important faces, and we all know it's been covered so much in terms of the departure of Gaudreau and Kachuk, so you bring in Uberdo and Uyghur and, and, and Gaudry, and so when you have new players, going on the road is the time to bond. Uh, they need a road trip badly to get away from the scrutiny, to have less distractions, to bond as a team. They have a, a lack of energy, they've slow starts to games, uh, but it's going to take time. I, I'm not too worried about the team uh, in the long run. Uh, you know, some adversity early on, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But there is a transition phase, and it's going to take a bit of time. Uh, Huberto and Uyghur, they're used to playing a more run-and-gun style in Florida, and with Terrell Sutter, it's it's not that way. It's more about structure and defense. They're also switching from a zone defense style to -to man-to-man, and Uberto started off the first several several games on a line with Lindholm and Toffoli. They they didn't even have a five on five goal. You know what, Jeff? The the power play was saving the Flames mm-hmm. earlier on, and and they're undefeated when they score a power play goal. They've lost every game where they haven't scored one. And uh, then came Sutter's mm-hmm. comments about Uberto needing to speed out speed up his game. And all of a sudden, there's a magnifying yeah. glass on on him. And meanwhile, the comparison that Godry has been, it's such a seamless transition. He's been better than anticipated. He leads the team in goals and points. Uh, but I feel for Lindholm the most because the impact of Kachuk and Gaudreau's departure to Elias Lindholm, I mean, just imagine you had the best season of your career. It was it was arguably the best season that a trio of Flames players ever had in franchise history where all of the line mates had 40 or more goals. And, and you know, they, they had so much success together, one of the best lines in the NHL. And if you're Elias Lindholm, put yourself in his shoes, Gaudreau, Kachuk, they both leave, and you want to replicate yeah. your numbers 
from last season, but it's it's not going to be. Even though Uberdo is still one of the like you know the the Gaudreau Uberdo comparisons are natural because they're playmakers and assist machines, but it's still a different way that they play the game, and and that impact on Lindholm is going to take a bit of time for him to adjust as well. You know the the one player that I have one very specific. I shouldn't say issue, maybe con- concern about, and we saw this most recently, the last time the two teams met, Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, and through two periods, Jacob Markstrom was excellent. And we all know that the, the kryptonite for Jacob Markstrom has seemed to be, and we saw this in the playoffs last season, the Edmonton Oilers. First two periods, looking great, no problem, cruise control, Markstrom's got this, you know, get the the piano off of his back here, get, you know, get past that mental hurdle of beating the Edmonton Oilers, and then the third period happened, Harner Ryan, and then it was, oh, you just kept, you know, as, as, every, as, as they go in on him, you just can't help but feeling bad for Jacob Markstrom. Do you have a thought on the Calgary Flames number one netminder here? Yeah, I think he's the type of goalie who likes to play as many games as possible. And this this really awkward start to the season schedule-wise where the Flames, the Flames just recently even had a time where they played only two games in a stretch of nine days. And um, I think that's been tough on the entire team. But Markstrom especially, I mean, he had 63 starts uh, last season and that was third in the NHL only behind Soros and Hellebuck. Uh, and then and Sutter made comments all of a sudden because Dan Vladar, the backup, had a had a pretty good season last season as well. But he had a great training camp in preseason, and and Sutter said we want to get Vladar playing once a week, which means you know there's 26 weeks, and uh, you know so Markstrom's hearing all of that. And then the schedule is so slow, so he hasn't been able to get into a rhythm, and he was allowing the first shot on goal in in three of the first several games. But I think as the season has gone on, he's continued to get better. But that, that question mark about the Oilers, you're so right. And you, you have to feel for a guy like him, the the type of goal that went in uh, that sharp angle shot from McDavid Markstrom's coming from behind his own net, not able to get set. Um, and and then all of a sudden it's it's in a Canadian market it, it becomes the talking point right it's a firestorm of what's going on and despite him being such a he was a, a Vesna Trophy candidate last season and despite him being so good uh, when it mattered the most uh, he wasn't able to get the job done but. The big, the big part of that is no Chris Tanev, right? And and that's something that the Flames and Brad Treliving are going to have to think about. When Chris Tanev is not in the lineup, this is a different team. They they almost play differently. They almost play a little more tentatively. We saw that last night too. Tanev wasn't in against Nashville. And, uh, you know, who would have thought that the departure of everyone's talked about the departure of Gaudreau and Kachuk, but Eric Goodbranson had a good run with the Calgary Flames. And he was, he was, you know, he had an impact on the Flames blue line, that pairing with Zadorov, two big guys on the third pairing, yeah. a steady presence. Um, and Goodbranson's departure has changed the look of the Flames defense too. So Trey Living has come out publicly saying that he's looking for another winger. Um, and that's something we'll have to keep an eye on because obviously the, the Flames haven't been able to get the chemistry going with all of their forwards either, except for, you could argue, the, the second and the fourth line, the Godry line, and then the, the Lucic line. Lucic has been a wrecking ball out there. He is actually looking 
faster this season than previous seasons. But I think they're going to have to take a look at the blue line for depth too. Cause if a player like Tanev goes out, they it's just something they're having a tough time to figure out. True living has been consistent with that. Like you're, you're bang on. And true living has been consistent with that for a while now that they're still looking uh, for one more forward. Uh, Harn Ryan, very much looking forward to tomorrow night's matchup. Uh, the red hot New Jersey Devils facing off the team that can't get out of town soon enough. Calgary Flames. Uh, we'll be listening. <laughs> we'll be watching, and we'll be reading uh, one game at a time. The updated version. Uh, my journey from small town to hockey's biggest stage. Forward by Ron McLean. Harnarayan Singh has been my guest. If you're watching on Sportsnet 360, that's the cover of the book. That was Harnarayan then. And on the other side, this is Harnarayan, the professional now. I love it. It's one of my favorite reads. I encourage everybody to pick this one up. Always good catching up, my friend. You be well. Thanks for having me. Harnarayan Singh uh, from Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, so that sets up part of what Hockey Night in Canada is going to be this weekend. And there's a number of intriguing games. Uh, early, there's the Bruins and the Maple Leafs, uh, the Golden Knights and the Canadians, the Flyers and the Senators. Uh, just mentioned with Harner Ryan, the Devils and the Calgary Flames, the Preds and the Canucks as well. Hockey Central, your pregame program gets underway 6.30 Eastern, uh, as always, with your host, Ron McLean. This is a big weekend, not just for Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL, but a big weekend for the Premier Hockey Federation, the PHF. Uh, opening weekend kicks off tomorrow. Um, in Toronto, the uh, the Sixth will play Minnesota at York Canlan. That gets underway at 2 o'clock. Soraya Tinker joins me now from the Toronto Six. Uh, Soraya, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Good, good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, there's a whole lot to get into with you. For, first of all, um, setting up for the first weekend of the season. I know it's, you know, whether it's, you know, you're playing Timbits hockey or you're playing, you know, junior hockey or NHL or PHF or where a beer league, wherever. Uh, first weekend is always special. First games are always special. What do you do to get ready for the first weekend? Yeah, I think getting ready for the first weekend involves getting to know my teammates better. So, I mean, I think over the past couple of weeks with training camp, um, really making an effort to get to know my new teammates that have come in and get to know my teammates that played on the team last year a little bit better, um, just to make sure we have that team chemistry going in. So um, I always look to have that, that connection with my teammates leading up to the first weekend. As It's always exciting, as you mentioned. You know, this is um, this is a big season for the PHF. Like, this is... Um, a season now where there are even more so than ever, like financially, it's a big season, as you all know, uh, for the PHF. But, yeah. but also, you know, the the presence of, you know, Casey Bellamy and Brianna Decker. And listen, Mel Davidson has been around um, uh, for a while as well. Sammy Joe Small uh, comes in with the Toronto. It's like, this is this is now a, a, a league that has people of real weight and gravity uh, around the women's game that is now populating the PHF. How much does that, you know, trickle down to the players? Like, how much does that trickle down to you? Like, oh, wow, you know, Bellamy's here, Decker's here. Like, oh, there's Mel mm-hmm. Davidson. Like, how much does that trickle down into the dressing rooms? Yeah, I think it's uh, it definitely trickles down to us. I mean, we're definitely looking forward to seeing what these leaders of our game can bring to our league. And um, we're so excited that they're helping us push the game forward. So, I mean, in the dressing room, it's, it's conversations of, I mean, 
worried about what, what they think of us. We're hoping that they think that we're uh, we're just as good as they they are or worse. So um, in that sense, I think we're excited to learn from them and uh, develop that professionalism in our league with with players with big names um, like such. Uh, new team in Montreal, so now it is a seven-team league. Uh, this one was one of, like, I'll just be blunt, this was one of the worst-kept secrets over the last few years that all the PHFs could expand into Montreal. We were all just kind of saying, like, all looking at our watches, Ryan saying, is it going to be this season? Like, like it was the, the worst-kept secret in, in all of hockey that the PHF was going to expand yeah. into Montreal. Your thoughts on this league now expanding by one until La Belle Provence? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, it obviously wasn't a well-kept secret, but at the same time, um, what better place than to uh, have an expansion team? So um, we know that we're going to have that fan base in Montreal, especially for the women's game. Um, and I think it's going to be great for our league as we continue to expand. And I mean, we get to play against more teams, more players get to come in and, and, and try out our league and um, prove that they're professional level players. So um, I think that's, that's exactly what we're doing with our expansion with Montreal. And um, I can't wait to play them and, uh, and beat them. Actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. let me <laughs> let me let me ask you about your, yourself personally. I, I got a couple of questions, even going all the way back to high school, um, because you're from from Oshawa. Um, before we get there, I want to ask you about something as significant, and this really is significant. Like, how did your Sherwood sponsorship come together? Because that's a that's a big one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, Sherwood was the first ever stick that I used. Um, so that was a big connection in that sense. Um, but at the same time, my parents actually met at Canadian Tire here in Oshawa. Um, so they both worked there as their high school jobs <laughs> and uh, have been together ever since. So um, so that's a funny Canadian Tire connection there. Um, but honestly, my, my relationship with Sherwood just grew um, to the point where it, was, it just made sense. Um, I've always used the Sherwood stick. I always tell people that my dad made me use a wooden stick for as long as he possibly could. Um, wasn't allowed to buy the composite one. So um, in, in that sense, I think the partnership just really fit. Um, they're willing and, and respecting of the women's game um, in terms of the endorsement deal that they've provided me with. And um, I think moving forward, it's going to be so important for players in my league to know that they can do the same and have the, that level of endorsement deal as well. Let me ask you about wooden hockey sticks here for a sec. When's the last time you used a wooden hockey stick? <laughs> Honestly, um, I was at a I was at a hockey diversity alliance event um, about two weeks ago or so, and um, there were some little wood sticks yeah. there that I was just playing around with. But um, but yeah, no, I, I have not used a wooden stick on the ice in in a long time, just on the road. <laughs> Okay, so, and again, like, this is me, like, beer league hack, so don't take any of this, like, as, 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 as truth <laughs> or anything, but a few years ago, as my, my composite broke, and I had, there was a, there was a, a wood stick that's, that someone had, and so I ended up using that, and I had forgotten, like, completely, Soraya, how easy it was <laughs> to take a hard pass with a wooden stick, it was just like, it was like so gentle on the blade because with a composite, you got to really control it and have, you know, hands, the likes oh, of yeah. which I don't have. But I had forgotten how <laughs> easy it was to take like rocket passes on a wooden stick. My shot yeah. was awful with the wooden stick. But man, <laughs> could I take a pass? So I'm just curious, oh, like, when the last time like you used a wooden stick and did you have the, wow, I can really take a rocket pass here with this thing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my hands aren't too good, so maybe I should start using a wooden stick again, too. But, um, but yeah, no, I haven't used a wooden stick in, in quite some time, and uh, maybe I'll try it out. <laughs> uh, 
your hands are excellent. You're an outstanding player. And the one thing that <laughs> we should all know about you is growing up, like in Oshawa, I, I, it sounds like you played all of the sports. Like it seemed like anything that was like anything where you could compete, you were interested in. So here's my question: If it wasn't going to be hockey for you, which sport was it going to be? Because it was going to be um, a sport. I was definitely, <laughs> yeah, I was definitely um, going to be soccer um, or basketball. Um, I, I definitely played high level both, but uh, I really enjoyed soccer. And actually, when I was at Yale, I, I thought about quitting the hockey team and joining the soccer team as both my best friends were on the soccer team at Yale. And uh, I was thinking about having my senior really? year as a soccer player, but, but that didn't go through. So um, I stuck with hockey. <laughs> Uh, and we're all better for it uh, on behalf of hockey. We thank you. Um, Black Girl Hockey Club, uh, I want to uh, talk about that as well. I mean, you're the executive director. Uh, it's an official not-for-profit as well. And this is a big season with a big launch uh, coming up at Scotiabank Pond in the immediate future. What can you tell us? Yeah, for sure. So um, with Black Girl Hockey Club, we initially started as a California-based nonprofit, but we had so much interest from yeah. our Canadian companies, um, obviously with hockey being Canada's game. So we figured, why not bring it north of the border? Um, so we're officially a nonprofit up here now. Uh, we're launching November 12th at Scotiabank Pond from 2 to, po- two to 4. Um, and we're really excited to get our programs running. We've got a scholarship financial aid program, uh, our community events, which will be partnered with NHL teams, a mental health and wellness program, and then my Soroy Strong Mentorship program will also run out of Black Girl Hockey Club. So uh, we're really looking forward to supporting our girls up here. Uh, where can people find more information on this? Yeah, so they can go to blackgirlhockeyclubca.org um, or my website, soroystrong.com, to find out more information about us. Excellent. I um, want to ask you in the couple of minutes that I have left with you, I'm joined here by Soraya Tinker of the Toronto Six of the PHF. Uh, it's opening weekend for the Premier Hockey Federation. And, you know, this is um, this is a league now with certainly an influx of money for the athletes and an influx of talent and a lot of, well, there's one new team, as we mentioned, with Montreal and some players coming over from the PWHPA and one that I think really grabbed a lot of people's attention, maybe specifically considering it's a, not a one-year contract, but a two-year contract. And that's Lauren Gable, mm-hmm. uh, who comes over yeah. as, you know, a real young, you know, future superstar, you know, talk about hands. I mean, she's a tremendous scorer. Um, when you start to see the Lauren Gables coming over from the, uh, the, uh, the PWHPA, like Soraya, what goes through your mind? Cause you've seen, you've seen a lot in, in hockey and you've seen a lot in the PHF. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's exciting. Um, I want to see uh, another level of play. I want to compete against the best girls in the world, um, in our country. And when Lauren Gable and players like such come over to our league, that's exactly what we get. So um, I think that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see all of the best players in our one North American league. Um, and, I mean, I played against Gable in college. Um, uh, and, I mean, I'm super excited to play against her. I'm not too excited about those hands. Definitely not. But... <laughs> At the same time, it's important for, for it's important for players like her to come and, and play in our league and um, and whatnot. So we're excited. Um, it's it's a challenge, and and we're moving forward at a whole other level of play this year. Uh, it should be outstanding. Listen, this is uh, every year the the league seems to be getting better and better and, and more competitive, and you know to the point earlier growing as well. Uh, I cannot let you go without asking you about one of our colleagues here at Sportsnet, and that's Anthony Stewart, who's one of the owners of the Six, 
Um, you know, and I, I, I swear, like, you know, Soraya, there's just some people in everyone's lives where you say, you know, do you ever sleep? Like, they always seem to have about, like, eight or nine different hustles going on at the, at the scene. Like, that's Stewie for me. Like, that's that's yeah. that's Anthony Stewart. What's your relationship like, not just with Anthony, but the entire Stewart family? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great. I think that we're, we're trying to do the same things in our communities, and I think that that's exactly what we need. We need to help each other out. Uh, we need to connect with BIPOC individuals in the game, and that's exactly the relationship I've been developing with Anthony, especially as he's a part owner in the T6 now. Um, so uh, getting to talk to him, getting to talk to Shantae, learning from Anthony uh, about his broadcasting skills for the future um, and, and whatnot. So I'm, I'm happy to continue to develop that relationship and um, see what we can continue to do for our communities around us as that's what we're trying to do. Agree, disagree. Shantae's the brains of the operation. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we know that. We know that. <laughs> 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 uh, shout out, Stewie. Hope you're listening. Uh, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Um, it's an exciting time in the Premier Hockey Federation. Big weekend for the PHF. Everything opens up. Uh, your first game at uh, York Hanlon's Saturday at 2 o'clock. Best of luck uh, this weekend. Best of luck this season. Stay in touch. We'll be, we'll be checking back regularly. Thanks so much for doing this, Soraya. For sure. Thank you so much for having me on. Great chatting with you. Soraya Tinker of the uh, Toronto Six. Uh, their schedule opens up this weekend, uh, as does the entire PHF for Toronto. They'll play Minnesota at York Hanlon at 2 o'clock Eastern. Um, but as we did mention, this is opening weekend uh, for the entire league. Uh, this isn't just uh, Toronto. Uh, Montreal's first games in Buffalo and a rematch of the Isabel Cup final, Boston against Connecticut as well. Uh, we'll step away, take a break, and thanks to Soraya for stopping by, and, and thanks to the, the Six and the PHF for making her available. Uh, we'll step aside. We'll come back the week that was around the NHL and around hockey in general. Uh, if you missed any of it, stay tuned. Here's what you need to know heading into the weekend. Again, in about 30 minutes, if you're listening, or watching live. Uh, the Global Series commences once again, uh, this time in Finland. It is the Columbus Blue Jackets facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you can watch this one at Sportsnet starting at 2 o'clock Eastern. Marchese next with the Week in Review. Keep it here. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks to uh, Soraya Tinker for stopping by. Thanks to Harner Ryan Singh earlier for popping by. Tomorrow on Hockey Nights, once again, you get a chance to watch the New Jersey Devils. What a game that was. Like last night against the Edmonton Oilers, that one delivered. The Rangers and Boston Bruins game, that certainly delivered. I really want Rangers-Bruins to be a thing, a legit, like, burning, light-the-fuse rivalry, not unlike we once saw with, you know, teams like Colorado and Detroit. Because once upon a time, and some of, the, uh, some of our older listeners and viewers will remind us that the Bruins and the Rangers, we look at late 60s, early 70s, that was the rivalry in the NHL, and it was... Nasty, Like, there was plenty of skill on both sides, certainly, uh, and that's obvious. The Rangers, as Elliot has mentioned before, probably should have won a Stanley Cup somewhere in there. They were that good. 
but that rivalry was 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 vicious. That rivalry was insane to the point where, and again, this is an ongoing uh, an ongoing chapter in my never-ending book of when there was respect in the game. Uh, Bill Jennings, yes, of the Jennings Trophy. Bill Jennings, who was the president of the New York Rangers, once put a bounty on Ted Green of the Boston Bruins' head. Think about that for a second. Not player to player, not coach to player. No. Team president, Bill Jennings of the Rangers, putting a bounty on Ted Green's head. This is when there was respect in the game. Anyway, underscoring the point, underlying the point that the Rangers and the Bruins used to be the rivalry in the NHL. And let's cross our fingers. We get back uh, to what that was. And yesterday's Rangers-Bruins game, big one for the Bruins. Big win, big hits, big scraps, big all of it. Uh, Let's hope that these two teams can stay at this elite level and we can really see what happens here. And you know, cross your fingers. What builds rivalries? Playoffs. Let's get these two matching up. Uh, joined now by Matty Marchese. Week in review time. Uh, your makeup's all done now. Your feathers are all looking good. You're ready for some more, uh, some more TV action here, Matty. I mean, I think my hair is a little off, but it's okay. We'll we'll get through it. Uh, the only thing I, I could think hair, of think when your you're hair, talking about I think your the... hair is getting a little little gray. You I think? think? Your hair's a little gray. You think, Jeff? Yep. Well, I'm I'm not going to make a comment about my wife or my daughter. We'll keep it at that. Um, The only thing I could think of when you said bounty and another movie reference, Joe McGrath. Right, Jeffrey? Favorite one. Yeah, you can't put a bounty on a man's head. (laughs) I just did. I just did. Click. (laughs) Click. (laughs) That was, by the way, that that character, um, Doug McClain played for that guy. That guy's name is John Mitchell, who ran the, uh, the Johnstown Jets. Okay. That is a real, actual person that that Strother Martin character uh, was based on. It was uh, yeah, John 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 Mitchell from the uh, from the Johnstown Jets. He was the guy. I love I love the uh, when he tries to bail the Hansons out of jail and he says, "Here is a Chief's keychain." That's all he tries to sell the cops on. I'm getting them out when they're trying to get bail. Here's a memento. No, the best line from that scene is, we just like to see the bail set a little more reasonably. Just try to, just try to, you know, squeeze the beaver on the nickel till it squeals. Just cheap out on everything. Every every piece uh, of garbage that comes us? on the market, Joe, you got to buy it. Um all right. We could do this all show, and nobody would find it interesting. I know. So let's move along. Uh, Alex Ovechkin ties Gordie Howe for the most goals with one team, 786, as he continues on to try and catch Wayne Gretzky. I mean, when we look at Alex Ovechkin, we know the signature one-timer goal, and, and I feel yeah. like if he doesn't break records with that one, it's going to be almost disappointing. But to watch Alex Ovechkin and and see where he's kind of evolved to that guy who was, you know, very, I don't want to say he was reckless, but he was certainly a physically dominant force early in his career. And he's evolved to a point where he doesn't necessarily have to play like that. And it's really helped him, you know, stay in the game as long as he has and really put up numbers that are, you know, legendary. This might be my tiny, tiny hockey brain. But you know what I thought of a while ago? What's that? Is there a coach? So when Ovechkin breaks this record, and we're all sort of of the same mind that provided he stays healthy, 
and Washington can find a center for him. Holy smokes, they're dropping like flies. Uh, and Washington can find a center for him. When he breaks this record, whether it's the shot from the OV spot or wherever it is, whatever the play is, and the mass celebration will begin. Is there a coach in the NHL that will call for an offside review? <laughs> or, do you just, or do you just let it slide? Even if you think it's offside, you just go like, I don't want to wreck the moment. I can't wreck the moment. Is there a coach out there that would say, oh, congratulations, what a great moment for the game. But first, we're going to the iPads. Uh, yes. And you know why? Because they're trying to win. <laughs> they're trying to win. Because <laughs> they're trying to win. Yeah, I know. They, and they don't want. They don't want to be the uh, the team that he just uh, broke or you know set the re- set the record with. I I, uh, I I get that. Like, look, like I don't know how much more we can say about Ovechkin. Like, I've always maintained that there are certain players that no matter how much you pay them under the CBA and the maximum you can pay a player is twenty percent, there are just some players that are always underpaid. And I've maintained this about Sidney Crosby for what he was able to do for the Pittsburgh Penguins in rejuvenating that organization to say nothing of the rink. Um, but Ovechkin's a guy. Like, we've we've completely forgotten how off the hockey map Washington was. Yeah. Right? And how that team was just awful. And how there was nothing there. And Ovechkin changed the whole thing. And everybody got rich. Now, including Alex Ovechkin, make no mistake. Like, no one's having any tag days here for Alex Ovechkin. But based on, Maddie, how much he's meant to Ted Leonsis and the Washington Capitals by way of franchise value, ticket sales, jersey sale, like, all of it. That guy is so underpaid and always has been. It's criminal. Like, you could, there are some players you can always make arguments for this guy should get the max under the cap and that's 20%. We haven't seen a player get that yet or even ask for that. But isn't Ovechkin one of those guys where you could say, yeah, you know what? Give him 20%. He's still underpaid based on what he's meant to that organization for all these years. Yeah. Ovechkin Ovechkin and Crosby are the ones that kind of stand out because they were both in similar situations, right? I mean, Mario was still there when Sid was there, but end of the career and I know that Mario saved the franchise but in terms of of what those you know both of those guys brought Stanley Cups to the organization something that hadn't been done the Capitals it had never happened and the the Penguins hadn't happened in you know 20 10 15 years and don't forget when they first started to pop this is when like like hockey needed Ovechkin versus Crosby. They're coming yep. out of a year-long lockout, and they're trying to get fans to pay attention to their game again. And it was going to take a lot more than, hey, look, we have a new logo, you know, the uh, the graphic on it. It's uh, it's not orange anymore. It's silver, and the NHL is trending up and not trending down on the logo. Isn't that cool? Come check out our product. And we have a whole new set of rules. Actually, we don't have a new set of rules. We just have rules we're going to start enforcing now, and we're going to be consistent. That alone wasn't going to do it. Like, I've always wondered... If Crosby and Ovechkin didn't exist, where would the NHL have been right out of the lockout? Because that Sid-Ovi rivalry, that Washington-Pittsburgh rivalry, fueled a whole ton. Yeah, it really did. For a lot of years. They did heavy heavy lifting for the entire league. And they were great right out of the shoot, which was also really important. Like, both of them were absolutely incredible in their rookie years. Yep. You know? They were. 
All right. Um, so here's where we've arrived at. Crosby and Ovechkin, good. Okay, great. <laughs> Equals good. Um, okay, <laughs> this one we've talked about, you and I, off the air. But Vegas, okay. Dallas, and Boston continue to win. And there is a little interesting kind of storyline that's going on here because Jim Montgomery was the coach of Dallas at one point. He moves on, yep. has his issues, whatever, becomes an assistant. Then he takes the Boston job. Bruce Cassidy gets fired. He ends up going to Vegas, who just fired Peter DeBoer, yeah. who goes to Dallas, and all yeah. three of these teams continue yeah. to win. I haven't there, – there are not many instances <laughs> where three coaches go to entirely different places and have this kind of success right out of the gate. And Jim Montgomery, Bruce Cassidy, and Pete DeBoer look like perfect fits for their teams. And the one thing through all of it, because no one – you know, no one really doubted how good of a coach Bruce Cassidy is. Nobody doubted how good of a coach Peter DeBoer is. But I think people forgot how good of a coach, because of how it ended in, in Dallas, how good of a coach Jim Montgomery is and how sought after uh, Jim Montgomery was around the NHL. Like, did you think for one second when he was an assistant coach last year that he wasn't going to be an NHL coach this season? No chance. Like, first of all, I'm really glad that he cleaned up his entire life and everything with his family and, and all of it. That's always front and center. But just from a hockey hockey point of view, he was always talked about as one of the next great coaches in the game before everything exploded in Dallas. And we're seeing that now. Like, he let, like <clears throat> Elliot brought up a really good point on the podcast. I think it was yesterday's pod, the one that just came out today. He said, under Bruce Cassidy, you look at that Pittsburgh Penguins game earlier on this week, that overtime where Hampus Lindholm goes end-to-end, would he be able to do that if Bruce Cassidy was still the coach? I, I don't think so. Like, the, <laughs> I don't Jim think Montgomery's so. Boston, Jim Montgomery's Boston Bruins are laying waste to the NHL. Now, so are Bruce Cassidy's Vegas Golden Knights. They've been outstanding, although yesterday, good on the Ottawa Senators for almost coming back in that game. But Montgomery is like, it's it's a lot of it is is up-tempo and, and let the boys play. And look what's, look what's come out of this. All of a sudden, Hampus Lindholm looks like he's going to be in the conversation for the Norris Trophy. Taylor Hall looks like a different hockey player. Patrice Bergeron is Patrice Bergeron. He's always awesome. He's the perfect forward. But, like, how many players are enjoying, like, resurgences here now with Jim Montgomery? Yeah. I think we've forgotten how good this guy is because, you know, because we, we kind of wrote him off when he, you know, when he self-immolated against the, well, when he was with the Dallas Stars. And yeah. good on him, man. Like, that's that's really great. Yeah, it, it's been, they've been perfect fits. They really have. And we've seen what. Pete DeBoer's done in Dallas. They had, I mean, they played Arizona, but still, they still won seven two and still had four goals in the first period. I mean, that's kind of fun to watch. Um, and Vegas is just again the perfect fit with Bruce Cassidy and and this, they they play a little bit more of a, a lockdown type of defensive game, which I think is what they need, especially with the goaltending situation. But Logan Thompson's been good. Jack Eichel's been great. I mean, can't can't argue with the fit. Um, Eric Carlson cannot stop scoring, Jeffrey. <laughs> he will, but I know what you mean. He will. We talked with this with uh, with Mike Kelly. It's just a fun story to watch, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> First of all, great personality, outstanding player, um, has provided us with numerous 
elite level highlights that we'll watch for our entire lives. You know, the big one that comes to mind is the the Hoffman pass in the uh, the Boston Ottawa series from his own red line. Perfect sauce pass lands perfectly on his stick at the blue line. Hoffman does not break stride, continues and does the Forsberg pass to Garask. I mean, there have been countless times where we've marveled at how easy he makes zone exits look. Mm-hmm. But then we've also kind of said like, oh man, uh, the injuries are catching up. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Like he's on the back nine now. Ah, you can see the clubhouse. Like you kind of felt like, all right, this is the end of the line here now for Eric Carlson. Stanley Cup eluded him. It's too bad. He's going to go down as one of the best players to never win the Stanley Cup. And he still might. And I still think there are some around the NHL that might be clinging now to this hope that, well, you look at this performance and if San Jose eats half the salary and maybe they can move him. Whew. Never seen ever in this league for trades. But Wayne, be Wayne Gretzky got traded. Like it's one of, it's one of, it, I know. I, I'm different, completely different circumstance, obviously. And last time I checked, there was no salary cap uh, in the NHL when Wayne Gretzky got moved from Edmonton to Los Angeles, but I digress. Um, it's one of those things that I look at and say, everything's going to be miserable in San Jose. It's going to be tough. Mike Grizz just trying to get a handle on what this team is, get a good look under the hood, find out who wants to be here, who doesn't want to be here, and then make his moves accordingly. Yep. I just look at this as... This is your reason to watch the San Jose Sharks. This is a big reason. Like, I love Timo Meyer. I love Thomas Hurdle. Um, I love Mario Ferraro. I really love watching Eric Carlson on that team. Yeah. Here's your reason to watch San Jose. Everybody in the East, stay up late. Watch Carlson and the Sharks. Um, do you know? So he's the third fastest defenseman to reach 10 goals. Um, can you name the other two guys? Like, you covered them. You should know. <laughs> Sorry, what's the question? To, to reach 10, 10 goals and how 10 many? 10 goals, fastest, fastest defenseman to reach 10 goals in a season. Two guys that you covered. Uh, is Ray Bork <laughs> one of them? No, you're not, you didn't cover these guys. It's an old man joke. Oh, oh they're old man they're, joke. Harry Howell. <laughs> I believe he's the fastest since, like, in the post World yeah. War II era like that's how good this start has been so i'll give them to you uh harry cameron seven games that was like 1919 with the toronto arenas or 1918 one of the two and king clancy with the ottawa senators did it in nine games and with that with the 10 goals that he has in 13 games he's tied george mantha and harry cameron both of whom did it prior to 1933 so um pretty good company okay yeah. Okay. Why is Harry Cameron important in the history of hockey? Oh man, you've told me this and I can't remember. My brain doesn't work anymore. There's one very, very specific reason why Harry Cameron is very important in the history of hockey. I can't remember, but it is really important. Harry Cameron Harry Cameron was the first person in a single game to get a goal, an assist, oh, yeah. and a fight. Yeah, the Harry Cameron hat trick. Really? <laughs> the Gordie Howe hat trick should be called the Harry Cameron hat trick because he was the first to do it in the NHL. Now, the branding and the marketing around Mr. Hockey, there's more of that great branding, uh, around Gordie Howe was elite. And a lot of it was, I mean, a lot of it was driven by, you know, Gordie himself, but certainly the family and certainly his wife. Like the the way that <clears throat> the way that Gordie Howe turned himself into a, a, a mini industry was was really brilliant and way ahead of his time. 
Like I remember when I was doing the old Leafs Lunch Show with Bill Waters, and the first time we had Gordy Howe on, one of the conditions of doing the interview was an insistence that during the interview we had to refer to him not as Gordy Howe, but refer to him as Mr. Hockey, trademark, Gordy Howe. Yikes. Like I mean, the good branding for that. that they did around Gord. Oh, no, they got it like years before anybody else in hockey did. No, but for that very one specific reason, Harry Cameron was the first. Gordy himself only had two, um, but Harry had the first one. That was back in 1917. I think it happened in like the first month of the first season for the NHL as well, which is amazing. I have and, to go back and check and, that. And but, that leads yeah. us to our final great, great segue, Jeff. You're just a pro. Um, oh, yeah. This week oh, yeah. was so smart. the week of the hat trick. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all hat tricks. Tage Thompson on Monday, Evander Kane and Eric Carlson mm-hmm. on Tuesday, John Tavares on Wednesday, and Andre Kuzmenko last night with a hat trick and an assist oh. for four points. Kuzmenko was awesome last night. Like Horvat was, Horvat's been elite like every game this year, but Kuzmenko was fantastic. I'll throw another one out at you. You know what happened last Saturday that set a record that I don't think anybody ever talked about? And the only reason I know about this is I sent a text to Steve Fellon last night after something happened. Steve Fellon uh, is the brain behind SNET Stats. The legend, He's so good. Fellon's awesome. I love this guy. Um, so there were three disallowed goals. There were, sorry, three overturned goals last night, right? And I sent Felon a note. I'm like, hey, what's the record? And he's kind of like, okay, give me a couple minutes. Like whenever Felon says, like, give me a couple minutes, this, you know, it's going to be good. Last Saturday, there were six. Wow. Which is the NHL record. Very quietly. It's come and gone. Six overturned. Anyhow, that's the minutia that, uh, that this program loves. And thanks for listening to it today and listening to it this week. Thanks to everyone who took part today. Uh, Soraya Tinker, Harner Ryan Singh, Mike Kelly, Elliot Friedman, uh, Matt Marchese on the mic, behind the mic. Thank you, sir. Lance Kennedy on the board, playing the keyboards. And Jen Rolnick for making everything look great for the magic eyeball. Back on Monday, noon Eastern for the Merrick Show.